From Koningstein Road in the east to Cetus Gap in the west, an orange curtain has descended across the Ojai Valley. This is Ojai Talk of the Town. Hey everyone, it's Brett Bradigan, editor of your Ojai Magazines, the monthly and quarterly. This episode, our guest is Kate Pepper, the famous baker who was uh, widely regarded as one of the best things in Ojai when she had her bakery out of her house in Miner's Oaks and the long lines of people that would convene there every Sunday morning for fresh baked treats. Now she's a head baker, co-head baker, and partner at the hot new restaurant in town, The Duchess. Please stick around until you get to the end. We have a new segment called Grab and Go about what you would grab should your house be in peril from wildfire, mudslides, earthquakes. I mean, this is California. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk soon. Hey, Kate. Hello, Brett. How are you? Good. You've been a an elusive guest. <laughs> I finally got you here. Yes, you did. <laughs> We so, were awfully busy. How many times did we have to reschedule? Oh gosh, good five four or, or five. Oh, you're gonna <laughs> I'm scaling back one. It could potentially have been six. I don't know. <laughs> well, here you are. Made it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, you can talk about why you've been so busy and so elusive. The Duchess. The Duchess is quite the project that we've all uh, jumped into. A very large endeavor. Um, beautiful, but it really takes up most of our time, if not all of our time. Um, to do what we do over there right now, which is cook for people and cook for the town. Yeah, which, how has it been different from what you expected? Because it seemed a, a smashing success right from the get-go, which you never really know in the restaurant business. Where's the sweet spot? Where's the demand? Did you know? Did you have any test marketing or focus groups or you know, just intuition. I I feel like because I have been baking for people in this town for so many years, um, there was already a feeling of support. I think that Ohio was was ready to give, and especially to a bakery and a baking space. The question then became: Would they be welcoming of a crew from LA in addition to a Burmese restaurant, which is a very different cultural food that I think was um, a kind of an eye opening experience for people when we first opened. So, um, yes, I felt as if this was the right thing for this town. And the right time. And the right time. I think COVID was an interesting time for everybody. And we all really sat down and thought about whether this was an endeavor worth undertaking um, because of that. But I, I think that at a certain point, there's kind of a resurgence or um, a kind of a renaissance of this sort of stuff when you go through such a, uh, I think, dramatic and uncertain time um, within yeah. society. And so this that was a time for that. It's like the roaring 20s. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of amazing. And I think that we we haven't even really tapped into what's probably going to be coming soon after everything that happened. But the Duchess, I think, has been one of those things that um, in a way was a bit of an experiment um, regarding this. But I think um, the, the partners, the group of us, had enough experience creating and making food that it was I think there was enough support within our system to to have confidence in, in its success I think so yeah mm-hmm. well I'm really a big fan of the food Fabulous. and um, I put on I don't know 18 pounds oh, in the pandemic. I think half of that is 
your fault specifically. <laughs> I'm glad I could help. That's fabulous. The other half is Claude. <laughs> oh, uh, you guys are really. It's like a one-two punch. Right there, right there on the corner. I oh know. I know. It's a nice. It's actually a really lovely um, sort of neighbor neighborly environment right there, which uh -huh. I think we're all finding to be really entertaining and and um, and actually working incredibly well. Yeah. Both places really busy. And it's the street life that it brings, that kind of cafe society mm -hmm. to Ojai Which that we I feel we've, we've been missing. Yeah. We've been missing for a long time, and it really is fun to see how much of the community is coming out to enjoy these spaces. And I know that we've been going through, of course, this whole tourist issue in town over the weekends. And yeah, as you know, that's town. always been It's been constant. an Ojai thing. It's, yeah. yes. And I think that what's been exciting for me is to see that there's a lot of Local Ojai people that are finding this to be a, a, a welcoming spot in the mornings um, to to spend some time and really be with their friends and their family and, and or doing work or yeah. any of that sort of stuff. The location and the, the atmosphere and building is really accepting of that sort of um, mm -hmm. gathering, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just those accidental encounters that happen to people on the street and the consequences of that. Amazing things happen just through. I know. People just bumping up against well, each other. We have great conversations. You yeah. end up with the best stories. I find that it's the most amazing stories, and you just want to think that you'd hear of, and then you run into somebody, and you're like, oh, that just made my day. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a it's an interesting place, this little community. And you're, you're a townie. Do you want mm -hmm. to, let's, t let's go into your background and how you got to this moment, and then I want to talk about Zoe and mm -hmm. Nathan and how all of that infrastructure got mm -hmm. built because they really – are at the top of the pyramid in they've Los done a Angeles lot. food culture. Yes, they are. They've done a lot, and they've it's taken years to do it. Um, as a couple, Josh and Zoe have really built something from the bottom up, which I think is incredibly impressive. And not only that, but they've done incredibly well in each of their um, their businesses and their restaurants uniquely. Um, none none is exactly like the yeah, other. Yeah, they're in fact they're very different from each other, mm -hmm. almost deliberately. Oh, I think very much so. Yeah. I think that that was a very, you know, um, specific choice they made to really be unique and, and, and choose different foods and find. And I think more than anything, they're, they're capable of meeting people um, that can then create these spaces when they yeah, end up running into to. somebody that they're, they're like interested talent in. scouts. Yeah, kind of. They bring people together to do things is, is yeah. kind of what they've done with most of their projects. And now you're a townie, grew up here. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the Ojai that you grew up in. Oh. I mean, let's see. I've probably been here 32 years, maybe. And we moved so here like in '89. You were like what? A month old? No, I moved here when we were nine. But thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was nine, um, we moved here. Um, my family. So it was in '89, um, and I have three other siblings. Um, we all went to the schools here, Ojai Valley School, and then um, I went off to Thatcher in high school. Is that why your parents moved here with um, the schools? You know, it was, well, ended up in Ojai, yes, specifically for schools. Um, yeah. My father was opening up a business and found a space in the industrial area of Ventura to um, open his pump business. Um, and so for them, Ojai was the right place to go to raise kids. And it just happened mm -hmm. to work out well, you know, 20 minute drive to Ventura. So they really made home here. Um, and yes, schools was the biggest draw for them yeah. at that time. It's, that's happening again. I mm -hmm. feel it went during the pandemic. A lot mm -hmm. of people, younger families, affluent, hip, 
I don't, I don't say Isn't hipster because I know that's hip was good. getting uh, <laughs> derogatory. I think the hipster should yeah. own that. Like, like, oh, right? Like Mormons or, you know, Baptists or whatever. I mean, these are Yankees. These it were derogatory terms. And then they turned them around and owned it. Oh, I mean, true. there's a, you know, I don't. Claim it. Yeah. (laughs) Be proud. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So how has it changed, Ojai, from when those old days of, I I shouldn't say old days. You know, honestly, I feel like Ojai has had an ebb and flow of this over the years um, of of it becoming very popular and then sort of fading away again. And I think Ojai's done a very good job of sort of maintaining um, as much as it can its quality of life and its... More importantly to me, it's surroundings um, and the fact that we live in these beautiful mountains and that we we have as much nature and beauty as we do. Um, yes, yeah, it's so astonishing. I think it's incredible, and I think we forget sometimes. Sometimes I go outside and I'm like, "Holy moly! Like this really is where we live." Um, and so, of course, it's an attraction for people, and people want to be here. And so, it's hard to, I think, get angry at people for wanting to be in a beautiful place. But there is a balance, um, and I think with anything, oftentimes things can get tilted in one direction, and we we lose that. And so, I mm-hmm. think it's it's something that uh, many of us locals, I think, are trying to be cautious about. Um, and how do we maintain yeah. a place that we find to be very special um, and something that we've known for a long time? And don't love it to death. And don't love it to death. And also balance the fact that, yes, we are a community that is growing and that we are developing and that there is a tourist industry here that is very mm-hmm. important for the survival of the town. I know. People complain about years. tourism, but I'm thinking of all, I've lived in towns where the industry was like a state prison mm-hmm. or a copper mine. Tourists, they come into town, mm-hmm. they spend their money, and then they leave. Yeah. How could anything get better than that? Kind of. And the very things that bring them there are the, are the natural beauty and the clean air and the exactly. sunshine. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's our product. That's what we can offer. That is what we can offer. But at the same time, how do we find that balance? And I think that it is fear. It's... I become fearful at times, of course, growing up here and knowing what it was like to go into Mandela Canyon or to go up the hike in the Sespe and to do yeah. these things that we used to do and grew up doing at school or riding horses and, and being out and to now go out and find that it's incredibly crowded um, and it's kind of dirty and it's changing oh, and it's it's how do we how do we find that balance and and I'm not sure I'm not sure how to do that and I think everybody's trying to find that and and sure. you know. So it's it's a it's a it's a game, and I think it's the nature of it's the nature of life. Things change. The nature of nature. <laughs> it really is. Things shift and things change. How do you well, deal with I, that? You know, I was very fearful. Well, COVID, you know, business wise, it really sucked, and mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh my god, I'm going to have to get a real job. Ah, I'm scared. Gosh, that would <laughs> Imagine. be horrible. But then, what really scared me was going down to the river bottom. Like the end of April, mm-hmm. stir crazy. I think I'd hiked up Cozy Dell a few times, mm-hmm. and so many people. I would never seen it. I used to run that all the time. Never would yeah. see a soul. Never saw a soul on that trail for years and years. And I don't think I've gone recently where there hasn't been. Well, that's because you're too fast. You're, you're well. Bored. I was not a fast runner. I'll tell you that. <laughs> More of like a a walk. <laughs> a walk. A walk jog. Oh, up gotcha. The hill. <laughs> Never heard that before. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> <A little walk. laughs> yeah. 
Well, the hordes. I think they had closed the beaches in Ventura. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. dirty diapers mm-hmm. and Blair and mm-hmm. boom boxes and coolers, pit coolers dogs mm-hmm. and broken bottles. Yeah. I was like, is this, how are we going to deal with this? I'm on the board of the Land Conservancy. And that was like oh, a yeah. crisis moment it for was. us. Yeah, we had sure to hire was. security. I remember that. It was very expensive mm-hmm. and not our job. They were yeah, there but to how conserve. amazing that you did it. So that you were aware and recognized that that needed well, to Well, I give that credit to Tom and yeah. Tanya, our mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Tanya, director yeah. and mm-hmm. deputy director I went for to school with Tanya for handling mm-hmm. that. Oh, you went to Thatcher. Yeah, I went to Thatcher. Yeah. Oh my, mm-hmm. I don't even know. I think we're going to have to close this conversation out. A oh, toad. No. I'm a toad. <laughs> I know. I was a spud and then I was a toad. <laughs> I think that's very charming that they have these ridiculous school mascots. mascots. I yeah, know. Santa Cruz banana slug oh, or yeah. whatever. It's you insane, know. but why not? You know, why not? Why not? I know. So on, this, so this beautiful Ojai that mm-hmm. you grew up in and obviously captivated you because you have made your life here. Mm-hmm. But how did you get into baking? What was your first experiences in the kitchen? Um, you know, I grew up, of course, with a mother who was a phenomenal cook and she a phenomenal mother and she cooked every meal for us. So we grew up in the kitchen with her and always cooking and making things from scratch. That was just the nature of, of yeah. us growing up. I ended up coming back from college. Um, Where did you go to school? I went to school in New Mexico, the College of Santa Fe. It was an art school in New Mexico. Oh, yeah. So I'd spent a year in Mexico and then went there and spent some time in Ecuador as well before I ended up back here. Um, and when I moved back, I moved in with a farmer and, um, and we had a community-supported agriculture program that we started yeah. here in town. It was, I think it was the first uh, CSA. First CSA mm-hmm. in, in Ohio? In Ohio. Um, definitely in, in Ohio. Area. He had yeah. farmed up in uh, Covalo for a long time and learned hmm. farming up there um, and then came back down here and started what he what he started. He uh, Anna Thomas was our neighbor, so she lived oh, right wow. up the road from us. And so we used to grow a lot what of What was veggies. the name of her cookbook? I oh, well, there was Love Soup, but she also Love had soup, the, the uh, vegetarian cookbook, and I forget the name. Yeah. But, um, but when she was writing Love Soup, she was getting all of our veggies and so we'd give her stuff we'd say hey try this malabar spinach or this tetragonia and see what you can make with it so she'd come down with soup and be like well i I mixed this in here and so we did a lot of that we we kind of played around and and grew a lot of stuff which was really fun um so we ran a csa for about 12 years we had a wood burning oven in the backyard um that he had built and so i played around with making bread um, and then began selling bread as a bread share program um, along with our veggies and all of our organic eggs we had a ton of chickens so people could get, they'd come and get a huge basket of vegetables, and they'd get bread, and they'd get fresh eggs, and they'd have their whole what entire What more do you thing. need? You didn't need any more. It was perfect. Um, so I did that until uh, things sort of fell apart in my relationship. Um, and as, they, as they do. Sadly. Sadly, yes. I've, and as I, I've yeah, learned. Yeah. And it, it's a hard thing. And I, you at that time. any number of my ex-wives. Oh, my gosh. How many is that? Holy moly. Well, two's, two's a number. <laughs> Two, two's a number. So um, uh, I, and at the time, my daughter was three and we separated and I ended up moving in with my parents, which happened to be next door to the house I lived in for 12 years with my partner. How did that feel for you? Was it like stuck in a place that you're just... I, it's, and it was at a a dead end. It was a (laughs) cul-de-sac. So if anything was like... The metaphor was a little too on the nose. It was really too on the nose. So um, that was hard. Uh, And I also was coming out of a relationship with nothing at that point. Um, 12 years and there's no common law marriage in California. And so I walked out without No equity. Nothing. Um, So my business was gone because it was a CSA and my bread business. I didn't have an oven and 
I had a daughter and it was a million things. I ended up with about four or five part-time jobs. Um, And then decided... But you were determined to stay in Ojai. Well, I had to. I had a daughter. We had joint custody. Um, that's that puts you in a position. Oh, I probably would have gotten up and flown the coop real quick. Yeah. I mean, if I could have, but I couldn't. Um, and so there weren't too many options. But I knew how to bake enough, and so I sort of built this business. Um, it pieced it together in a lot of different ways. Um, I took the weave course in Ventura, and oh yeah, though let's talk about the yeah. women's economic venture. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that helped with that for years, yeah. Mike, Mike Weaver. I yeah. think he works on it's, the organizational part. It's an amazing program, and I think yeah, really I know beneficial. several success mm-hmm. stories. From oh, there. a lot of them. Most women that I know in town who have had any interest in opening up their own business, they've gone and done that program, and it was um, really beneficial. So, yeah. um, so I was doing that um, along with about three or four other part-time jobs, making no money and not seeing my daughter at all, who was three at the time, and. Um, I so I was like, well, I can bake bread. So I I started formulating this this plan. Um, at the time, my brother was working at uh, Milo and Olive in L.A. in Santa oh, Monica. Yeah. He was a sous chef to Evan Funky, and so he oh my god, mm-hmm, so he worked at Rustic Canyon, and then he ended up they opened up Milo and Olive, and he worked there. And so, so that was your introduction that to, was, the, so to I, the crew. It was. I had searched around bakeries all over the area, and none of them wanted me to come in and help or work or learn. I had no culinary experience, so it was a big no. And I was a mother, so it was a big no. Um, But when I reached out to Sam, he said, well, Zoe said it's okay for you to come down here. So I thought, well, this is incredibly lucky because Zoe had connections, of course, to Tartine, which was a big one for me being a bread baker. Yeah. Um, And the ability to go down and work in a kitchen, um, a commercial kitchen, which I had never done before. So um, I ended up, I was working a bunch of jobs, but every week I would go down and I would hit three shifts at her bakery, which would be long shifts so I could get experience. And what are those hours? I mean, that's like well, ridiculous the, hours, the right? Hours get in there at like three o'clock in the morning or something. For what I was trying to do, I only had an overnight to do what I had to do. So I would get down to LA and I'd work a shift from 11 in the morning until about seven at night. I'd go sleep on the couch at my brother's place. I'd wake up at uh, 2.30, be back at the restaurant at 3, and then run until, yeah, I think it was another 7 o'clock at night, and then I'd drive home. So I was trying to get as many... experiences yeah yeah, to know every aspect of that literally trial by fire really yeah and so then i'd come home and i'd do everything else i had to do and then i would you know sit down there every every week and go do this thing and i did it probably for five months maybe i'm not sure exactly how long i think i've lost track of so much of that um but yeah but it was my it was an it, it was a kind of a way that I got into to understanding how to bulk up what I did, which for me, my yeah, bread was my bread, up. but scaling yeah. up was a big thing. And I was able to come back from that. And my dad said, well, he's like, you can use the garage, which was his wood shop. And he said, mm-hmm. when this doesn't, we'll give you a year when it doesn't work. When? <laughs> when Not if, when yeah. it doesn't work. Thanks, Dad. That's really what I said. Well, and, he probably understands your psychology that I, that was a taunt. It like was, a, yeah. Maybe it might have been. Um, And so 
Yeah, he said, when it doesn't work, we'll sell off the equipment. You can get another job. And I, I did it. And it worked. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> it worked. Now you're on the podcast. I'm circuit. on a podcast here. And it's amazing. Uh-huh. And I love it. So it did work. And it, it, it's been um, kind of a, a crazy ride ever since, which um, was very unexpected. Um, and I'm incredibly amazed by the support I received from Ojai and this town yeah. over the years. Well, you built a cult following. or Not even really a cult following. It's almost like a movement. Kind of I went hilarious. up hearing about these lines around the corner for in your place in Miner's Oaks and mm-hmm. people who miss that, the nostalgia for that, they can get the bread and they probably even have a greater mm-hmm. variety you're able to do with a crew. And every day. Yeah. I miss the nostalgia. This is something I'm grappling with at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I, I find there's a, that... There's some, some kind of charm to that, I'm mm-hmm. sure. There is. There's there's something about, for me, I'm not, I struggle with, with uh, doing things really uh, in terms of money and, and business and making it. I... I'm very into the creative process. You know who else process. does? <laughs> Pretty much all of us. Yeah. I'm very into the creative process, and I'm very into what I do. And so for me, the act of baking and making this food and, and doing this thing for people, and then they would come and get it, and I would be able to talk with them yeah. or eat with them, or these things that would happen was was very exciting instead of the constant turnaround of, mm-hmm. oh, make this food, put it out there, go make more food, put it out there, go make yeah, more food. Yeah, there's a, the personal connection. Yeah, and I think especially in a small town, I think that the group that came in um, has a very different perspective of this because they've come from the city um, and coming from L.A. and the way they do things. It's very much a business. Um a beautiful business. They've, they've, their product mm-hmm. is beautiful, but it's still. It a feels business. like a well-oiled machine. Very much so. Um, and I think that uh, bringing that into a small town was an interesting um, endeavor. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't work here like it does in LA, um, and there very much is a, a connection to everybody. <laughs> and well, so it's very hard to not be, you know, everybody knows everything and everybody wants to be a part of, you know, and there's this, this feeling. And there's of lots connection. of free advice. So, there's so much advice. Isn't and that amazing how is. people are so, they know <laughs> so much more about your business and how you they should do. do it. Than, they do. And, I, and you know what? I listen because you never yeah, know. You never Sometimes know. they may have some, some piece of wisdom I just didn't think about. So, That's true. um, but yeah, but but there was nostalgia to baking out of a garage and people eating pizzas under a tree. And Your origin story. The origin story. and um, But it was not sustainable. Yeah, not sustainable because of the toll it took on you with the... No, I this mean, is I taking a much greater it. toll. <laughs> this project. Yeah. No, it wasn't the toll. It was, it, you know, it was at my, it was on my parents' property. Um, and that's not a place that I can keep a business going that was growing the way it was, the rate it was, when we would have hundreds hmm. of people coming up on a Sunday. Was it neighbors? The neighbors loved it. The neighbors well, loved yeah. it. Um, give them a loaf every now they, and then. Exactly. They liked. I think it was a fun, you know, fun event that happened every mm-hmm. Sunday. But, um, but it did take a toll on my parents and their home and and property. And there were things that had to, you know. I mean, it was a small shop that was pumping out a lot of stuff. Yeah. So there were always problems and issues with them. How many bags? Of, how many pounds of flour would you go through in a? In a week. Oh God, I don't know, but I get pallets into twenty five hundred pounds, you know, that I'd unload, and it was it was yeah, it was it was a significant amount that I that I did by hand, uh, which was the other thing. Everything yeah. I did was by hand. So, um, in this new, there's no mechanism. No, no there wasn't. No, it. it wasn't. And so now I'm learning that you know we're bulking up and using a mixer and a, a mm-hmm. fancy oven and and things that are new to me. Um, and it's making beautiful bread. I'm thrilled my baguettes are yeah. fabulous and loving it. 
Um, well, the but it's different. Roasted strawberry Danish. Oh, the Danish Kelsey's Danish, beautiful, really beautiful. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I know. I don't and, know what it is about the simple act. It must be like the milliard process with uh, roasting that gives them that little yes, sweet and you know pop. I, it is, and I think sometimes that the more simple something is, the better it is, and I find that. A lot of the stuff we do, that Danish is made with croissant dough, and then, of course, the roasted strawberries and some pistachios on afterwards, and it's very simple. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, quite frankly, I think that's all that you really need. And I think, yeah. you know, so um, so it's really fun to, you know, with baking, it's a very long process to get to this end point. Oh, it takes and your baguettes, I meant to tell you, I find that was just so delicious. Oh, I'm so glad. But it's like the, <laughs> there's a bit, right, as you finish the bite, with a crust that has this like umami taste oh, to yeah. it. Well, those ovens steam really it? well. Oh, you know, it's we're a actually, steaming, yes. But also, um, there's a durum, uh, a scalded durum flour I've been putting in it. Scalded so, durum. Mm-hmm, scalded durum. So I'm taking a durum wheat. And basically, Which is a harder wheat, right? It's a more of an ancient wheat, yeah. And so, and then and mixing it with water and then scalding it on the stove, it creates a paste. And so I can put the paste in the dough. Um, it creates much more of a, a preserving quality. Um, mm. There's more hydration in the dough. Um, and it gives a little bit more flavor. And also toasted wheat germ is going to do it as well. So we put toasted wheat germ nice. in it. Mm-hmm. Giving away all your well, secrets. A little bit in, oh, yeah, but it's in the making of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all sure. You can give there's the, a lot to it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm fascinated by that. I grew up on a farm. We, mm-hmm. you know, dairy business. But mm-hmm. my dad had three and a half acres under heavy cultivation with his vegetables. And just my mom was a wonderful cook. And we hunted and fished oh, and amazing. game. And it's it was just, thing. to me, food was everything. It was like our lives revolved around mm-hmm. it. And just, you know, starting with the radishes mm-hmm. and the rhubarb and mm-hmm. finishing up with the berries apples he had one oh, tree with seven yeah. different kinds yeah. of apples oh, see, on that's it that's phenomenal that's it's that's the thing so people don't really when i farmed with my ex it was a, my favorite thing was you know how many different plum trees we had and yeah. the burgundy plum was spectacular the cherry plum amazing green the gauge. green gauge i was just gonna say green gauge there's beautiful and they all have their own quality and and yeah every tree is so distinct they're so idiosyncratic mm-hmm. it's really quite amazing yeah and in this town we can pull out a lot of stuff i mean this town yeah, i've always sunshine. been surprised at you know the food uh, sort of situation in town and restaurants because we do actually have a crazy amount of beautiful ingredients that come out of this town and there hasn't it hasn't necessarily been utilized I think in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, speaking of um, mm-hmm. that, the fifty fifty farm. Mm-hmm. Can you? Ex- I know uh, I was well, hoping Zoe, to get Zoe well, on. Yeah, here you know now, Zoe and Josh. They ended up moving here about a couple years ago. Um, were they? They were pandemic refugees. I, I understand. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, they really were. I think they kind of jumped, jumped quickly though. Uh, earlier on, so they kind of were on a little bit ahead of it. Yeah. Um, and they, of course, have um, eight, eight or nine restaurants in LA. Yeah. I'm not this sure is if really Duchess is Can the you ninth. like n- name them? Oh, I can't name all of them, but we have. They started with Rustic Canyon. Rustic Canyon right? was Josh's baby. It was yeah. where it all started, and he really. Um, Josh is kind of a poet of a man, and so he, I think, at a certain is point, is Liv Schreiber's handsomer younger brother. That's how I see it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I, I can see that. I know where you're going with that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. He, um, he, he decided he wanted to create a space that was all about food and about friends and bringing people together. And, 
and bringing your food from the markets and, and making these spaces. And so Rustic Canyon was very much that. And I think it was named after actually Rustic Canyon where he used to have dinner parties and do this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so they had Rustic Canyon. had the Canyon. story in the last, in the current issue. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was that, in there, yeah. yeah. Too bad it's not here. We could <laughs> tap yeah, we into could flip through it. <laughs> Make sure we're getting all the facts right because <laughs> I'm really not sure I have them all. But um, then uh, that's actually where he met Zoe. So Zoe ended up uh, as a pastry chef there and was hired on as a pastry chef. Ended up as a well, she she started. started. Well, she 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 was yeah. ended. She she started there doing pastry work, um, and and then they became became a thing and a couple and married. And after that, um, ended up moving to open up Huckleberries. That was Zoe's kind of next. That's the one I, I mm-hmm. hear about that from people. Yep. When they made the connection between Huckleberry and the Duchess, it's like a lot fueled a lot of road trips. Oh, for interesting! Yeah, in LA, I'm sure. You know? I'm sure. And um, so, yeah, so Huckleberry was a great success, um, and and very much I think Zoe's sort of baby as a as a baker. Why she, Huckleberry? I mean, I love Huckleberries. I grew mm-hmm. up in that country, and my dad was famous for his blueberries, his oh, big, yeah, fat, yeah. dusty blueberries. Uh-huh. Unbelievable! Oh yeah, amazing! And so what you can do with them. Mm-hmm. But Huckleberries are even more concentrated. I think the sugars because they, you know. Denser and they oh, grow slower. I don't know too much about that. Yeah, I have no idea why she chose that name. That would be something I'd actually be curious to ask her. I have no idea. The naming of things was kind of fascinating yeah. for me because when we ended up sitting down to name the Duchess, that was a whole, whole thing that was um, kind of ontology begets phylogeny. I don't even know those words. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure I know them either. But the naming they of things is really very good. important. Like. Incredibly The beginning important. is the, mm-hmm. it's like contains the whole process. Yeah, it really does. And I think it really spoke to what we were trying to accomplish and who we were as, as collaborators in a project with very different backgrounds um, coming together to make this project work. And so the naming of things, yes, the name was a very, very important element to what we ended up doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With now, a lot of history to it. Well, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Saw... Was supposed to the chef mm-hmm. saw Nang and partner. This is another interesting angle that there's like equity being shared in this mm-hmm. venture, and that seems not only generous but you know like a, abundant spirit, but also a good motivational tool, it's especially for a chef because they can be tempestuous. Dynamic. Well, it's it's interesting. I'm learning a lot about the business end of this. Um, it's it's slightly tricky um, and how it works um, and Zoe and Josh are the owners of the Duchess and and they have put in the money with investors that yeah. has been their thing um, but yes as partners um, which Zoe and saw and Kelsey and I are all partners we're the four partners of the place um, Josh as well but more of a silent partner um, there was a percentage that has been given for us to come in and do this project. Um, what that means, though, really depends on how much we create and how much money we can make off yeah. of this space. So um, it can be an interesting Well, it's a very difficult business. Mm-hmm. People don't go into the cooking or culinary arts or restaurant unless they have that love of connection of bringing people together because yeah. they ain't doing it to get rich. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. It does happen, but yeah. not as a plan it's and not fast not a quick thing it's not it, this is this takes yeah. time it's a lot of endurance this is an endurance game this is a this is like the long game that's kind of how yeah. i look at it sometimes um and so yes and so 
each one of us has been brought in um, and, and we're collaborating on this. And so Saw is the executive chef. He's the Burmese chef. I'm an amazing chef who yeah. worked now at his Tallulah's. Now his grandmother is uh, from India, right? He's his got grandmother's a... from India, um, but also... And that was the one who taught him to cook. Yes. And and in more than anything, I think it was the way he grew up with her... Um, he was there with her when she cooked and his mm. kind of goal as where he is now in his life has been trying very hard to remember what those foods were and to find those recipes mm. for himself. To reverse engineer from his Basically, memory. Basically from his memories, which is kind of fascinating. And he is very passionate about it. And But I think more than anything, it's him finding himself through these memories mm. and um, he, yes, his grandmother raised him in, in, uh, Myanmar and Burma and his stories are fascinating. He's to sit and chat with him is really interesting. Um, and he ended up moving here. Um, I think in his early twenties, he ended up yeah, here because he's not very old. No, he's not. And he's done a lot. And he originally moved here because he wanted to do music. He was into music. He had a mm-hmm. band in, in Myanmar and that's, you know, what he was into. And he moved out here to do that and found himself working, it's, you know, as, as uh, musicians and actors uh, do exactly in a kitchen. And so he sort of worked his way up very much that story of somebody working their way up through a kitchen. Um, and I wish I could give you all the names of the places he has worked and what he's done. Yeah. A few um, of them stuck out. You mentioned Tallulah's. Well, he ended up at, so he, he ended up at Tallulah's, which is where he met Josh and Zoe. And yeah. Tallulah's is one of their restaurants in LA. And that's how he ended up connecting with them. And, um, why they ended up bringing him up. He ended up uh, eventually yeah. quitting at Tallulah's and wanting to open up or start up his own sort of spice business, uh, making masala. Oh, spice blends. Yeah, spice blends and masala. He's very into his masala and all of that. Um, so he wanted to do that. And um, and then all of a sudden, Zoe kind of came up with this idea, and we were all around at the same time when this sort of thing happened. And so we just thought, well, here we go. And then that, and then it happened. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying it was like serendipity. Kind of. I think it was right time, right place, maybe. Um, in addition to that, we have Kelsey, and Kelsey mm-hmm. is um, the other baker that works with me. We run the bakery in the daytime. Um, Kelsey comes from, she is, Kelsey is a true baker. Kelsey has been what a does baker. That mean? Well, I don't call myself a baker. I really don't. It was not because something, of, I, I, I well, don't I know. Mean, come on. <laughs> I don't know. You're like a celebrity. You got like fifty thousand Instagram followers. <laughs> I don't know why that happened, but but I I find that I bake because I bake. Um, they all joke about the fact that I'm very chaotic in the way I do the things I do, and I don't really? have a lot of systems. And I'm Zoe has. I've been, it's been quoted Zoe calling me a ball of chaos, um, and uh, so so I'm a little more. I think I, I spin a little bit more in the artistic sort of direction. Free flow. <laughs> Yeah. And my, my stuff, I've always kind of, yeah, I've always sort of described my baked goods as more of sort of beyond the rustic look. It's sort of whatever, you know, I do. Yeah, but they're so consistently delicious. Well, they at least they taste good. I'm always like, as long as it tastes good, <laughs> we're okay. Uh-huh. But Kelsey is very different. Um, Kelsey is a very precise baker, and she has been baking for a long time. Um, she, I think, has just had that in her soul and mm. since she was probably is that a complimentary dynamic you feel yes i do i i'm hoping um that the two of us will learn a lot from each other and what we're mm-hmm. doing um of course in any situation i think there's been tension in in and finding that balance between 
two very strong bakers and characters yeah. in one very small space. Um, and she, I love her, and she is just incredible at what she does. And so I'm learning a ton from her. I'm hoping that she may gain something from me, what an do you older hope woman. She from I you? don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know what I can give her. I, I don't. Other than the fact that I'm a good, you know, what, twelve years older than her, and maybe um, letting loose a bit and just. So she must be what twelve. She's Twenty-eight. <laughs> 12 <laughs> you really are sweet. You're a sweet <laughs> man. <laughs> So, yeah, so anyway, so I, I don't know what I can offer her, but I know that she's a, she's a very hard worker. Um, she's very good at what she does. She ended up um, meeting Zoe at Huckleberry's, where she got nice. one of her first jobs um, and ended up, uh, she went up to Tartine and worked at Tartine for a while as well yeah. and came back to Milo and Olive. That's, that had to have been quite the apprenticeship. I think it was. I, you know, I, I, I ended up going up to Tartine um actually meeting some of the head bread bakers through Instagram, which was kind of a hilarious yeah. thing. Um, and and made very good friends with uh, numerous bakers from up there. Um, Crystal, uh, who has a bakery down in San Diego, she opened up one. Uh, Richard Hart, who is now has Hart Bakery in Copenhagen, um, and he was in collaboration with Noma. And co- Oh, my God, mm-hmm. Rennie Redzippi. Mm-hmm, exactly. I'll tell you a story about, I read this wonderful profile of him mm-hmm. in the New Yorker magazine, and at the end, it was like, what does he cook, you know, on his day off, yeah, yeah. you know? He would take half a cabbage and just, you know, boil it in his wife's leftover tea, and I go, my mom did that. I loved it. Simple things, it. right? Yeah. Simple things. Very interesting would, people, you yeah. You know, put a, put a, you know, she'd, Coffee for my mm-hmm. dad. She'd use the leftover coffee to make red eye gravy for everything, oh, wow. you know. And then brew up a big pot of strong black tea, uh-huh. and then sit there and smoke her cigarettes and watch her cooking shows. And then the best. And then she would, <laughs> you know, for lunch. And that's I love boiled cabbage and tea. I still make it all the time. It. You will yeah. always love it. More but probably for the story than anything. Well, fascinating. Oh I ended up visiting Richard um, a number of years ago in Copenhagen when uh, he and was... did you go to Noma? Yes. It was incredible. I actually was able to like go... like a six-month waiting list? Or no, well, he, I didn't even eat there. I, I spent time there. I, I was able to go and... Um, at the time, Richard hadn't opened up his bakery, so he was baking out of their greenhouses. So they made uh, bakeries out of the greenhouses right outside the restaurant there. Oh. And so I would go and, and just visit him there. And then I was able to walk through the restaurant when it was closed and kind of see everything and, yeah, and see their fermentation. It? It's amazing. It's an incredible space. And it's really beautiful what they created there. And um, it was really exciting for me coming from Ojai to, to realize that I had connected via Instagram, quite frankly, with some of the most amazing um, All the way to people the in food. Top. You yeah. know, and, and Richard Hart is one of those guys. He's a phenomenal baker. Um, and being able to uh, have have experimented and visited Tartine and worked with him as, as a bread baker, he's he's incredible. Crystal's incredible. They, they are very skilled, um, very talented people um, who have also all branched off on their own to do what they do. So it's been an exciting time to really meet a lot of these very – phenomenal bakers um, uh, from a lot of places. Um, a famous baker from uh, Melbourne in Australia came to visit not too long ago. As um, a, on a, just a fact-finding mission or just because of just, reputation or just because of, of the yeah. community of... I think that he was, you know, I'm sure he was meeting up with a number of different bakers and probably in the LA area and he came up here and um, all of my savory ham pies and sausage rolls and things I do come from yeah, him. Yeah, come out from us. And yeah. they, well, they come from him specifically. He's phenomenal. Oh, wow. He's an amazing baker. Um, Jonathan Day, who is from uh, Peru, he came to Ohio to, to visit, and he's another. What do they bake in baker. Peru? 
Oh, he had a bakery. He was doing bread and doing all What's that. What's their regional specialty, though? I'm wondering. In Peru? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I know it's probably a lot of potatoes. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Andes. Yeah. Lots of they varieties of potatoes. 300 different kinds of potatoes. So many potatoes. I remember seeing some video one time that was the most amazing um, little movie of a woman uh, roasting potatoes in a, an oven she had created out of mud on the top oh, of a yeah, mountain. Oh, yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. I know. And I, it was just phenomenal. So that's the sort of stuff I want to go see. Yeah. <laughs> so that's food tourism. I, I really exactly. think that to understand another culture, the shortcut is through food. It's always through food. Yeah. You know, my favorite was when I went to Ecuador um, and I was staying with a family and they ended up taking me to meet their grandmother. Um, and she was up in the Andes in a tiny mud house, you know, wearing the purple scarves and the necklace. Mm-hmm. She's a beautiful woman. And she took me into her kitchen, which was a separate building. Dirt ground, uh, fire pit in the dirt and everything, and um, guinea pigs running all over the place. Ooh, they're so yummy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, quite, they, they they would... I, was uh, my, I apologize to my daughter. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> no, I know. My daughter loves guinea pigs, too. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, but they have guinea pigs that they actually paint and, and carve into all of the um, the altars and a lot of like the cathedrals. Because they are such an important animal to their <laughs> their you know their yeah. cuisine but also they are i think the shamans use them to um heal people it's a very interesting thing mm-hmm. but the guinea pigs but so the guinea pigs are running around everywhere and she gives me this bowl of potatoes that we had just harvested out of the the field yeah. cheese on top and i was like oh what kind of cheese is this and she's like well it's you know queso de la vaca so it's the cheese of the cow oh, yeah. and i was like oh of course <laughs> it's the cheese from the cow mm-hmm. and it was very basic but it's good that you ask you don't know it could be llama fancy, cheese who knew who yeah, knew alpaca but, cheese. But it was it was beautiful, and I, and there was a lot of simplicity to that. And when I came back from Ecuador, um, is when I moved in with my my ex, who was the farmer, and a lot of what we did was very um, reminiscent of my time in Ecuador. Did you grow and, potatoes? Uh, growing potatoes, growing everything. And, we grew and, a lot yeah. of potatoes. My family uh, came to America in 1848 to grow potatoes. Wow! See, they still have amazing. the old census records from 1850 yeah. where they had 600 bushels of potatoes that they took to the market. I love that. And that was their only cash. Everything yeah. else was subsistence. Well, I'm always amazed. All the amazed. way to my grandfather. Yeah, I'm always amazed, too, of, like, you know, when you, you sit back and really look at the, the history of food and what's going on and how it's so prevalent in what society was and what, what we were doing. And just recently reading about the grain shortages that were starting to happen yes. because of the war that's mm-hmm. happening in Ukraine. And so there's a lot of stuff happening and going on that's affecting the agricultural situation and, and status of, of and the, the way world. the world is becoming so interconnected exactly and so it's it's to understand your food and where it's coming from and where we're getting it is really important I think and um, yeah. something that I think gets lost amongst all the millions of other things that we worry about but when it comes down to it there are fields and fields and fields of agriculture happening all over the world. You'll, you'll have to excuse me. I just lost my train of thought. You're so pretty. Oh, thank you. Did I say that out loud? Oh my God. I'm well, so anyway, unprofessional. I feel like we're getting, we're getting off track anyway and everything. But so, yeah, so we can go back to the Duchess. And the history of the, actually, we, we forgot about chatting about the name, too. The name's pretty fascinating with the Duchess. You know, yeah. It's the history of Ojai. When you talk about Ojai. Well, Bill Baker. Bill, mm-hmm. All yeah. those fancy cakes that he mm-hmm. made for FDR and Herbert Hoover. And, Huge cakes. Yeah. Huge cakes. You were so. here when it was... Bill, still Bill Baker's. Right? I, yeah, in 89 Colleen we moved here, so it was. Mm-hmm. I don't remember their last name. They moved to Tehachapi. And they have a bakery there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And so it's kind of amazing. It's a beautiful, very cool building. And, of course, the oven 
was from the Duchess Baking um, Equipment Company in New York. And that's Is why that it the says the Duchess. So mm-hmm. when we were talking about the bakery, um, one of the big How things... How many BTUs does that crank out? 15,000? What? One of the big... No, not the old oven. Not the Duchess. The Duchess was a wood-fired oven. It's not there anymore. Yeah. But I just wonder that people... You know, cooking at home and cooking in mm-hmm. a restaurant is different because Very of the different. able to the amount heat. of exactly. You know, yeah, when I was power, I was a, for me when I was running my bakery out of my the garage for so long. That was one of the biggest tricks was how do we get enough gas? How do we get enough BTUs of that to run a deck oven out of a residential area? And it's a very different amount. So what we're running out of that kitchen at the Duchess is a significant amount um, to run those ovens that we have oh, going man, on in there yeah. and the and, and he, everything. And they got to keep them at, what, 375, 400. Yeah. Although, I have to say, though, that, that might just be, is that just in reference to gas? So we actually have electric ovens. Really? Yeah, we are running electric ovens in there. I always thought that was too difficult to keep even or something there are some elements they probably fixed it with the technology but i think it's changed and you know i when we were talking about it one of the big reasons why we had to do that was because of the the weight of a gas oven and the the foundation of the foundation of the building was not sturdy enough um to hold that weight and so we ended up having to scale back on what the ovens were that we were doing and we got two electric ovens um, which I was hmm. I was slightly concerned about because I was like, well, only baked with gas. I talked to a lot of people about it. Most people were like, this isn't going to change too much. Um, hmm. In addition to that, the way our world is going, um, I think it was wise to go electric. I think that the idea yes. of of gas, the usage of gas nowadays is, is changing. And so I think down the road, electric is the way it's kind of going to go. So it, it kind of suits what we're doing over there, and I think it's working out pretty well. Yeah. And the product's coming well, out really well. Obviously, it's working. It's, it's is working. This, is this belly can attest. <laughs> You're looking good. What are you talking about? Oh, man. Oh, I, I had a so whole good. box of pastries to bring to you, and I forgot it. I'm going to have oh, to get you no, those. no. You're in such I, trouble. I know. I forgot the pastries. Shoot. I'll, have to I'll walk right over there. It's you only can. like 100 yards away. <laughs> so close, right? Yeah. So close. But anyway, so yeah, when we sat down to come up with a name... Um, We wanted a place that felt like a community place. I think that was the biggest thing for us was how do we make this not feel like an L.A. restaurant, but a place that Ojai, like a watering hole, kind of in a way. That's exactly it. That's the feeling. I do get intimidated by the lines in the morning, but such a well. Yes, they do. It's It's a very well-trained crew. Yeah, it is. The front of house is amazing. Um, And so, yeah, so we came up. So uh, a long time ago, baked like bread ovens bakers were in the center of town and people would bring their loaves of bread that mm-hmm. they would make at home and everybody shop every day for that day <laughs> they, basically and they would take their loaves of bread that they scored with their initials on the loaf and they would bake them in the communal oven and that was a big thing the communal oven was always in the center of town so when we were talking about it being a watering hole in a community sort of place and i was like well the oven is named the Duchess, and Josh is sitting there, and he's jotting down on a piece of paper, the Duchess. And so we didn't think anything of it, because I was like, oh, we can name our new ovens the Duchess, or we can call a drink mm-hmm. the Duchess. And he jots it down, and that night I get a call, and he says, we come up with a name. And it was the Duchess, and it suits so well what we're yeah. doing. And it really worked it is, well. It is a um, one of those kind of places that feels like it's been here forever, in a way, mm-hmm. even though it's new. But I feel the same way. Uh, mm-hmm. It was when... 
Zoe and I were designing it when we sat down to really come up with the idea of how it was going to look and what we were going to do with it. Um, there, one of the words that kind of kept coming up was timeless. And I think instead of being hip and instead of being a modern place or that feel, for me, it was like sort of let's go Hemingway style. Let's go with this feeling. Hemingway style. Hemingway style a little bit, a little bit of Hemingway. And and it was a feeling of how do we create a timeless space yeah. um, that did feel like it's been here forever and more of an institution than anything. And so it was really fun designing the place and kind of coming up with that feeling and, and trying to combine. Yeah, Ojai. decor is nice, it's, really. It's really pretty. I think it was something we, we kind of nailed, and it was fun. It was nice it. before Azu. I thought uh, Laurel and Liz had really good. They And, and they also Jeremy maintained a beautiful awesome. place. And, yeah. you know, Liz came in the other day. I had a lovely chat with her the other day. They... They were insanely supportive of what we were doing. We all became very yeah, good friends. Yeah, because that's a tough business. They it's were ready tough. for a break. Yes, and they had their new business that they were opening, the brewery. Yeah, the brewery, mm-hmm. which has been really extended downtown. It's interesting to see mm-hmm. oh, Ohio yes. kind of yeah. moving to the east like a that. A little bit, yeah. and it's kind of nice to spread it out a bit, I think. It's not so it bad. It is. And well, Bryant for Street's people walking around, and mm-hmm. there's a, a street culture in Ohio that wasn't there before. I know. It's fun. Yeah. I don't usually, I mean, of course, I'm in the kitchen. All I think the time, yeah. I'm a big fan of a pattern language, mm-hmm. the book of timeless patterns, and one of them is eyes on the street. People, what they want to do is watch other people, mm-hmm. and eyes on the street creates that sense of community. And just you know, like store windows, and you know, the cobbler working mm-hmm. in his window, and the kids at school going by and watching that, and that yeah. sort of just casual interaction. We're getting more of that in Ohio. Somebody, I was sitting outside out front of the Duchess one day chatting with somebody, um, which I don't do a lot, but I sat out front, and you sit there, and you watch all the cars, and you watch everything going on, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, he said, I had a friend one time that told me that we're all connected by a thread. And that most of us can't see that thread, or we don't know. You mean what's an actual, going on, but an invisible physical, sort of metaphysical, metaphysical thread. thread that that most often you're going to find that that person has some connection to something that you you know. Oh and in God, a small it's town, ridiculous. it's even more so that. So when you sit out front of the Duchess and you sit there and you watch and you realize, wow, like there is so much going on and so much activity and so many connections that are here and happening all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like you can feel this web like Mm -hmm. it feels exactly like that yeah it's almost a physical thing Mm -hmm. it feels that way in town but oh is like that i think i think oh is is, is, has that energy oh Um, i got a story oh yeah good the um ohio music festival which i love even though the music does require some tolerance sometimes Mm -hmm. it's (laughs) avant-garde But these two ladies were playing forehand music. Conlon Nancaro is a famous composer, Uh and he wrote a lot for the player piano because he was so cranky, he didn't trust pianists to play it. Oh, wow. So, and it would take a year to write three, you know, punching them out on on the card rolls. Mm -hmm. But the um, perform, these two ladies had figured out how to wrestle that into four hands, this incredibly complex music with these shifting time signatures it was really impressive yeah so the next day they're sitting behind me and i was like god you guys are so awesome i see you know and they were just like we'll never do that again (laughs) but the (laughs) uh looked in the program and oh you're from the university of buffalo yeah i'm from chautauqua and they go oh chautauqua we, we live in forestville and i go forestville that's like 600 people how is that possible it is a frozen shithole 
I mean, it's beautiful. Right. It's absolutely a gorgeous. Hole. Yeah, but it's frozen. It's so goddamn cold and 220 inches of snow oh a year. But they, but they live on Bradigan Road, which is like my great grandfather. You know, because wow. there was only one family per well, road. That's weird, though. And they're here. Yeah, they live on. And my dad's best friend married the the one lady and her husband. Like, oh no way. Way. Oh wow, that's incredible. Oh yeah, it's a small world. It's a small world. It really is. Yeah. It's very small world, and I, I do find that it feels a lot. smaller in Ojai than other places. It does, and I don't the know human why. scale of it. I think maybe, and I find like I, you know, I hear a lot of stories oftentimes of people being elsewhere in the world and and somehow being a connection to Ojai. Mm-hmm. Somehow they yeah. they run into somebody that knows Ojai, or they've been. There's always something, and it's kind of it's kind of fascinating. You're like, oh, there's something to this town. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to go to the vortex or the well, East West Valley. People talk about that, but mm-hmm. you know, most mountain ranges run North to South, exactly. which means mm-hmm. that there's East West valleys everywhere because that's just the, the watershed. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something about the tilt of the land. It's slight southward tilt. It gives us Maybe. more sun exposure. There's something I, you know, my daughter rides horses at a barn on the East end and Thatcher's uh, not at the Thatcher just over, no I'm um, uh, the oh, Thatcher family no horses oh it's it's yeah it's the Friends Ranch so it's a Friends mm-hmm. Ranch stable over there it's a Friends stable um, and so she rides over there and when I go over there with her and she's riding and I sit there it is the most beautiful spot ever and the breeze comes straight through that little area and oh the mountains my, with the and orange blossoms the smell and it is phenomenal. And the I sit sun there warmed sage. Like, Holy mo- yes. This All is the most the amazing smelling place I've ever been in my life. Well, we just went through that phase, the spring phase too, and everything smells. <laughs> it's yeah. like perfume. Just you're going through just clouds of perfume in this town, which is well, it's, it is like clouds of particulate matter. Mm, is my yeah, basically scratchy. <laughs> Nasal passages and, we and allergies. It. We're loving it and, and we're hating it all yeah. at the same time. Exactly. I can just one whiff of jasmine, which I love mm. the smell. I will start sneezing and wheezing. Oh and yeah, this is what happens. I know this town can be, it can it can hurt sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> With all this beauty that yeah. we're also fortunate to see. Indeed. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, but it has been it's gonna been a good place to open up this spot. I think. Yeah. It's... What are you learning in the the rep? What do you, what's the chatter? Um, do you guys debrief like after every shift or try Not to? Not after or? every shift. We do all connect as managers. We do have our meetings every week. And then um, with our, our groups, of course, Kelsey and I run the bakery. So we have a bakery team. Um, Saw has his kitchen team, a phenomenal team. Vinny is incredible. Joanna, Duncan. I got to say the biryani people. is amazing. I make a wicked biryani. Oh, yeah. But I never thought about puff pastry. That's like a that cheat was, code. Well, that, that is was a cheat fun. Code. It was fun for us because one of the big things that we all wanted to try to do was how do we actually collaborate and really make these very different elements of, of who we all were work together. Oh, really? This was a so this was a collaborative thing. by design. And nice. and saw and he he grew up and I think in Myanmar they or in India there there's a dish that's. Biryani. A, a biryani and what is they very, do is they, very, uh, it's traditional, but what they end up family doing. Family oriented. Or. It is. It's usually a family dish. And what they end up doing is they actually cover it. They seal the pot with dough. Mm-hmm. And so by sealing the pot with dough, they can they contain within this dish yeah. the steam and the smells and the flavors. 
So when you break into that dough, all of the smells come and out. The perfume. It's the perfume it's of these spices, the cinnamon and cardamom. the cardamom. It's an insane amount of spices. And so he was like, well, this is something I'd like to try to do. And, and of course, I was running a puff pastry for a while. It's delicious puff pastry. So we're like, well, let's try it with puff. And so we started running the puff and putting together this biryani dish, um, which was very much a collaborative um, mm-hmm. sort of duchess dish which has been very successful and i'm happy for that because yeah it's something i think so i was very proud of and really loves and And the skewers are amazing because you can get a plates full of skewers in a cocktail and Mm -hmm. not you know a hundred dollars out you can have a nice night out without spending a packet it seemed like you did price the menu Two two layers like that deliberately, which I appreciate. We I, that was a big topic. It's a know. it's a big topic. Um, is pricing and stuff. Um, well, costs are just so outrageous. It's really outrageous the amount of work that goes into what we are doing. Um, but at the same time, you do have to sit and think about well, who are these people we're feeding, and mm-hmm. who do we want to have come in? And for us, it's it's a it's a it's everybody. It's a variety. It's mm-hmm. not just one you know, market group of people well, that we're trying also, to get. And so how do you price that? Economic reality. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to not have. Ojai is too small. We don't have scale. Well, this is the thing. And so for us to have a space, which is the Duchess, that encompasses a whole bunch of different varieties of, of eating, mm-hmm. whether it's the morning bakery and, and versus the, the nighttime, all of these things, how can we support and supply food for our community, for our village, basically, um, where everybody can experience it and enjoy it and have fun and, and, and do that? And I think that was something that, that's been sort of a, a balance we're trying to find um, in what we're doing. And also constantly shifting what those menus are. Saw is always in that moment. His menu changes all the time. Every night, his menu changes. Mm. We're, we're actually going through a skewer issue because we're not allowed to run um, charcoal grills in the kitchen. Uh, oh, a health man. food violation, violation. Um, in this area. It's not Well, in that's the LA. very traditional not, street yeah. foods, especially like well, the gizzards and the heart that he uh, well, skewers up. I love those. He, that was from... That was a memory he had for a very long time. And his grandmother, um, he would sit there with his grandmother and she'd be cooking and she'd go out to the markets and she'd get all the food. She didn't have a refrigerator. So because of that, she was, everything was kind of fresh in what she was doing, but she would do all the stuff and she'd throw the gizzards to him. And he would sit there and he'd eat the chicken gizzards. And that was something he remembers. So he's like, I want to do skewers like this. And his skewers were based off of the Rangoon Street skewers, mm-hmm. um, which was something that he really remembers as well. And so since we've had to kind of uh, pull skewers for now until we come up with another solution, um, he's been getting very creative with how he's create- He's making this menu work for him. And so it's been really fun to see the creative process, the creative process. And it's like, okay, that didn't work out or we can't do that. So what are we going to do? And, and there's always things to do, you know, you, yeah. you can always do you think that's part something. of the attraction of the restaurant business is that it's just incessant busy work. That it doesn't allow that creeping dread to get into your brain. <laughs> That's funny. I'm only half there's, kidding. I'll tell you what. There's a lot of creeping dread still. <laughs> that yeah. still happens. But no, we're so tired and exhausted and working so hard that, yes, sometimes we don't think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and we just keep going. You just going. got so much to do. <laughs> we have so much to do. We there is a. It's very important to find the balance. And I think that is something that we are all constantly trying to do. It's how do we not work 16-hour days? 
How are we not here at 3.30 in the morning? How do we not stay until 1 o'clock at night? How do we make a system that is sustainable for all of us so that we can actually be creative and that we can can Yeah, to be able to this. step back and take a look at the... At what we're you know, doing. like a jewel. You want to look mm-hmm. at it from all sides. Exactly. And I think that if you can't do that, you can't make more. You can't create more um, and, and do your best for the people that you're trying to do this for. And so that's been, I think more than anything when you talk about well what are you learning with this or what's happening i think for me it's been that feeling of how do you navigate this very large project with a large amount of people with very different viewpoints and and opinions and perspectives um to create a unified space so people come in and they say oh well what did you bake or what did kelsey bake it's like well actually this is the duchess this isn't Mm -hmm. kate's bread this is not huckleberries this is not rustic canyon this isn't any of those things. This is the Duchess, and this is a group of people coming together to create the Duchess product, um, which is basically an experience that we want to give everybody um, in this town that, as I said before, is timeless and that is welcoming and that is home. And I find that that is something that people do say when they come into our spaces. They say this is so, so much like a home. And it really does feel that way. And with that comes the chaos. Um, with that comes the, the craziness and the ups and downs and the livelihood yeah. of what cooking food is and cooking food at this scale, what that is, um, and, and communicating with the town and the community about where we get our stuff and where we get our supplies. Yeah, and food. that's another interesting conversation mm-hmm. because uh, I think in the story that Richard wrote, you Something like half of it goes back to, or as much as you can, I well, know, source are, locally. But yes. there's some the fifty-fifty concept that you na- that they named the farm. Can you tell me a little about that? The, the idea behind that, and Zoe's very, very passionate about it, is this idea of sort of a cyclical, um, oh, a system where we are constantly, we are growing, we are, we are taking or using from the garden in the restaurant and then whatever's wasted goes back into the garden and it's a cyclical mm-hmm. thing. And in in turn too, it's this idea of supporting all of the people that are running in that system. Um, so that we can go to a farmer and say, we would like you to grow all this. We will purchase it all because we will use it mm-hmm. all because we're running a big restaurant. So you'll make money off this. And we will, in turn, bring it into the restaurant, make money off it for the people that are working in the restaurant. And in turn, it goes into this cyclical sort of thing. Um, And it's a beautiful idea. There's a lot that goes into that. It's not always perfect. Yeah. Um, When you're dealing also with seasonal products or do people have enough of this or not, you know, or or did they have a bad harvest or were we expecting one thing or not? It changes the dynamic of how we, we use what we use. Um, Zoe's farm is very new, and so she is learning, and that's 50 Is it 50 Upper farm. Ohio or where? No, it's not Upper. She's over, um, their farm is over sort of by the Grange area. I don't know what that area is. Not oh, Miramonte, and, uh, not but Miramonte like close, right there yeah, in that area. On Loma. Yeah, in that area. Loma. But it's around there. Lomita. No, yeah, it might Lomita. be Lomita. Yeah, actually, it might okay. be on Lomita. Yeah. And, um, and... And lately, you know, she, she purchased four pigs not too long ago. So Whoa. we bring all of the food waste. Bring it home to big. grows right to the pigs. Um, yeah. They were actually supposed to be an experimental project for meat. And because they were too loved, they just became pets. Oh, but they <laughs> do receive all it the is, food. It is really <laughs> the intelligence of pigs is almost frightening sometimes. It's, They're yeah. people. They're, they have personalities yeah and so i and wish they weren't so damn delicious oh, 
Well, I'm making, I do the bacon every morning over there. And we're all sitting there like, why oh does everybody God. love bacon so much? And it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's been interesting it's to, to, to you know, work with certain farmers and people in town and, and see what's available. And again, the idea and what we all strive for is that it's all coming from local gardens and farms yeah. and people. The food um, shed. It's not necessarily the way it runs all the time. But yeah. I think with the intention to do that, um, we get closer and closer to what we're aiming for. And I do find that that is something Saw is very... A North Star. Yeah, really. And I think that, you know, Saw is very, very into that. Kelsey, uh, she just cracks me up with the berries. She loves mm. the berries and the fruit because she bakes. And so her she's uh, she is passionate about pies. And she made a blueberry pie the other berries day. get passionate oh. about that is really amazing, and the, but the blueberry pie she made the other day my nearly God, my knocked mom's me out. Pies. I oh. just can never learn to bake, but my mom was a magnificent baker. There are people that bake and there are people that cook. I really do find yeah. that baking is a very I'm a different cook. thing. I cook. Yeah, it's, but I told her the other day. I said you should just do the whole pastry case of pies. <laughs> Why <laughs> Nothing not? else. Let's just do They'll pies. Get bought. Oh, especially in the summer, you get yourself a nice lemonade and a slice of pie. Oh, You're yeah. set. You're set. Well, my dad would eat his apple pie with a wedge of very sharp. Crumbly cheddar like oh. for some reason. That's so good. That but we had the amazing. Amish. They've taken over Chautauqua County, the Amish, but they had a pass. Yeah. They didn't have to pasteurize their milk so they oh. could get all these raw milk cheeses. Oh. And it really does taste different and better. And it's How all. so, though? Um, more. You got more of the, well, I don't want to say umami too much, but it is that sort of base note mm -hmm. of flavor that you okay. get from a raw milk cheese. Yeah. And it's just, you can just tell that there's more bacteria at work. I that is much more probiotic. Same thing with the sourdough. Yeah. There's a, you take a bite of sourdough sometimes and you can, it, the flavors sort of walk through your mouth and you're like, oh, it starts out a little nutty and then it sort yeah. of gets into it. And mm -hmm. when you... When you work with sourdough and you know how she's running when you're, you know, your mother and she's like, okay, and, and you're feeding her and there's the ups and downs and, and getting to that place where you know, okay, this is when I'm going to get this crumb and this crust and this flavor in this dough. And it's all about the fermentation. It's all about those yeah. organisms that are working in that stuff. And are you... Uh you have your own starter, I would imagine. She's, yeah, she's 12 years old. So I've been yeah. running her since I opened up my, my bakery. And... Um, we nearly lost her the other day. It was a devastating moment. Really? What, what happened? <laughs> oh, she got used up. Somebody used all of her. And I was like, oh, you no, never use pinch. all of her. <laughs> but there's probably enough it. residue there, there to was, get another star. There was. I, I scraped. I took my fingers and I scraped every bit I could off of the, the yeah. container. And I and we got her going again. She's. They're very hard to kill. So Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember, you know, sourdoughs and the... Klondike Gold Rush in the 1890s would always have their sourdough starter. And some of those San Francisco starters are 150 well, years old or more now. my story about that was, you know, um, Franz Litz just wrote an article recently. I love Franz. Oh, He's written favorite. for the mag. He was a, another friend of the pod. Yeah, he really is amazing. And I love chatting with him because he always has some great story. But he had written the article about the sourdough library. And one of the things that he had learned from this woman was that those those gold, what are they called? Gold miners or whatever. Miner fortunes. Sourdoughs. <laughs> what they would do is they'd actually keep their sourdoughs around their neck in their handkerchiefs. Mm -hmm. And so their sourdough starter was with them all the time to make um, griddle cakes. And that's what they mm -hmm. do. But you talk about the gold they're searching for and they're sitting there with this this 
sourdough just strapped around their neck and their scarves and I'm like that that kept that's them going how, that was how, the yeah. that was the goal that's what they had so really fascinating stories when it comes to bread and and um yeah, that's the sort staff of, stuff. of life it really is and i think it's you know i was talking the other day um actually i was talking to saw and we kind of had an interesting conversation because we were talking about costing and prices and things like that and you know people come in and the naan that we make over there is really oh, beautiful God. and it was a fun project butter mm-hmm. oh it, my yes God. it's really good and when we first did it it was something that saw and i were working on and he ended up getting we we purchased this tandoori oven um a beautiful oven and so at first we're starting to bake it off and it was like oh this isn't really working like the dough was fine but we learning the tandoori oven was crazy that thing is mm. hot they nailed it and every night they nail that dough and they make it and it's beautiful. And But there has, of course, in town, there's been talk about, oh, is it too expensive? You know, you go get none. Yeah. Is it too expensive? And these are topics that come up in town. And these are things that people always bring up. And so I was talking to him about it. He said, he said but it takes so much time to make. And I said, look, talking to a bread baker here, where for me, I can make a loaf of bread that will last a week and will be sustenance for a family for a week that can't cost more than an espresso that somebody will down in mm. five seconds. Yeah. And the amount of time it takes me two to three days to make that loaf of bread versus five minutes to make a coffee or whatever. Mm. And I can't ask for much for it. And I said, bread is, is an offering and always has been. And I like that. bread really is I all over like the that. world. Bread is an offering. And as much as I'd like to say to everybody, that loaf is worth $35. I can't. It's not what I can do. It's not like art. But what bread does is brings people in because bread is nostalgia. And Mm -hmm. bread is what brings people into our place. So when people hear about the naan, they come, they're like, oh, this is beautiful naan. Or they come in in the morning for the sourdoughs or the baguettes. Bread is an offering to your community, to your family, and to your friends to say, come and eat with us and come sit at our table. And the idea of companion companionship is with bread and it's oh yeah Mm -hmm. exactly so it's breaking bread with people so it's really a fascinating concept and 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 what we're doing over there is come in and eat with us and yes it takes a long time to do what we do and it takes a lot of work and a lot of people so we price it accurately (laughs) well when you figure that's what it is exchange of value (laughs) Mm -hmm. you're coming probably you're giving away a lot a lot a yeah. lot and it's hard to it's hard to explain that because you don't want to have to defend yourself all the time for what you do but um this is this is really cooking this is making food this is not a fast process and it's coming from people who are very passionate and very skilled at what they do which is something yeah. that is possibly new to Ojai when it comes to restaurant work and things like that um so it's kind of a beautiful space for that yeah. reason well the idea that Ojai can support and sustain a venture of this quality, I think, really speaks to it. Because this is a Los I'm Angeles uh, scale. And, and I I'm think surprised, that, yeah. I'm surprised at how many people we have showing up. We just opened seven days, so now we're open seven days a week, yeah. which is a big undertaking. Mm-hmm. But we are people are coming in on Mondays and Tuesdays and getting their coffee and having their pastries. That's so nice. And it's really nice that that's available, I think, now. And I, I like I say, I'm very surprised... This has been very successful. People have really taken to it. Um, and and that's something to be proud of, I think. And, Absolutely. And something to be like, okay, we, we did we did something here. Now, can we keep it going? I don't you know. We birthed, birthed something. <laughs> we birthed like something. A, it was hard and painful, and we yeah. did it. <laughs> Does it feel like it has its own entity? Like it's a... 
Oh, I think the Duchess is the Duchess. Yeah. I do. I, I feel that about that space. That is not one one person or one personality or what anything. That is the Duchess is a thing unto herself or himself yeah. or itself. And um it's and that's what's kind of exciting about it, I think. And like I don't know the evolution of this place. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know who's gonna stay, who's gonna go. I don't know what it means, but it's a food space. It's a creative food space that we've all sort of jumped into, um, and and it's it's the Duchess. Yeah. And the name is perfect. It really is. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got one more little mm-hmm. segment we do on a podcast called Grab and Go, oh. and this is if there was like a fire coming and you had just minutes to get aside from you know your loved ones and pets, mm-hmm. even if you hate your pets, you would probably take them. What? <laughs> What are you gonna grab? What is? Oh, I would take. I would take my starter. I take my mother. Yeah, (laughs) it's crazy. I did it with the Thomas fire. I did. My car was packed with my my bread books and my starter and my a few baskets and things like that. And it was a funny thing to do, but for me, that was my business. That was my livelihood. I believe that. And so that was what I took. Now, granted, I can always start another one. That's not the you know. Yeah. um, I always find also a lot of my mother's recipes or something that I'm, you know, those are They're certain things. They're not going to let go of those. Those yeah. are treasured. Yeah. You know, so certain things like that. Um, but I'm like that. I'm a Scorpio. I go for the treasures. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so you're exactly like one twelfth of people on the planet. Exactly. Or are you not into astrology? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, what are you? I'm a triple Leo. So, of course, that's oh, what fire. I would say. Fu- yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> no, but anyway. Right. But it's, yeah, that's probably what I would take. All right. Thank yeah. you very much, Kate. This has been wonderful. Thank you for, for doing this and being patient with us. And, yeah, and, and after all this work about, to get you in here, I know. And it, it's well worth it. I'm so glad. I know. I felt bad that it was just me coming, but I'm glad we yeah. were able to do it. So all thank right. you. Thanks, Kate. Just thinking out loud. There's a special affinity I have for people who make a living in the kitchen. I hope you could tell. Kate is really... A star in her world, 50,000 plus Instagram followers, very deeply engaged audience, and I hope you could tell why listening to her. She's quite a bright spark. In any event, I just think about how food is tied into memory, and you could see that most of our talk was about nostalgia but also about how the food industry works and what it's like to make a living in it and the hard work. And, you know, Kate told me uh, afterwards that she can't even remember the last time she took a vacation. I think it takes a particular kind of dedication to make a living in a kitchen. And we did touch on that briefly when I was making a joke about the busy work, constant onslaught of just one thing after another that perhaps that's part of the appeal, that it keeps away the creeping existential angst and dread. She laughed it off, but, you know, people kidding on the square, as my friend Peter Bellwood would say, there is no such thing as irony. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.